Hello and welcome to the Bridgeway Christian Academy Legacy Community Academy Bible Study, Holy Holy. Over the course of this Bible study, we are going to be diving into the topic of holiness, a word that appears over 500 times in Scripture. Holiness matters because, according to Blaise Pascal, the fact that a holy person is strong or weak, rich or poor, highly intelligent or illiterate, does not add or subtract anything because that person's greatness is on a different and almost infinitely superior plane. It is open to every one of us to become great in the order of holiness. The word saint means holy one. It is not applied to a special few, but to all Christians. We are called to be holy in 1 Corinthians 1-2. Holiness is the gift you receive when you put your trust in Jesus and receive his righteousness. We appropriate the righteousness of Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then we seek to live out a holy life in grateful response to God's gift through the imitation of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. However, before we begin looking at our own call to holiness, it is important that we step back and look at God's holiness. As the fount of all things holy, we need to understand what it means that God is holy. He is holy in a way that is special, unique, and different than anything else that we could ever encounter in all of creation. And God's holiness, like all things that God does, is a sign of his great grace and unending love poured out upon us. Let's dive in. The very first time the word holy appears in scripture is Genesis 2. God finishes creation, looks at it, says it is good, and then he sets apart the seventh day, the Sabbath, as a holy day to rest and enjoy God's good creation. It is worth noting that God himself must be holy to set aside a day as holy, to declare something else as being holy, but we're not going to focus on that too much today. No, we're going to skip forward a couple hundred years and a few chapters of scripture to Exodus 3. For those unfamiliar, Exodus 3 is when God calls Moses to be his voice to appear before Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. Moses has been living in Midian for the past 40 years in exile because he murdered an Egyptian. But one day, while he is tending to his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, he finds a bush that is burning, but the flame does not consume the bush. And out of the flame, the first thing he, Moses hears is, Take off your sandals. The ground upon which you are standing is holy ground. In other words, out of the flame, Moses hears God saying, You, Moses, are in the presence of a holy God, the Holy One of Israel. So what is holiness? Holiness simply means set apart. W.R.F. Browning's Dictionary of the Bible says, Holiness is anything separated from ordinary or profane use. By this definition, I hope you see that as a rhetorical device, holiness is not unique to Christian or Jewish culture. Across any culture, things have been thought of as holy. What I want to look at today is how among things that could be thought of as holy, God is still unique. Not because he is different from everything else in creation, but because in being different, God is 
intimately concerned with humans and other things that are distinctly not holy. So before we dive in to what it looks like for us to be holy, holy, we need to understand what it looks like and means and how special it is that we serve a God who is holy and in being holy still reveals the depth of his great love for us. Continuing on with Exodus 3, God says Moses is going to get the people of Israel freed and lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. When he hears this, Moses protests, saying he is far from qualified to be God's messenger. I am not eloquent of speech, he says to God. And in response to this, God comforts him and says, I will be with you. And so we see God's declaration of holiness, his utter distinct set-apartness, is immediately followed by a promise to deliver a people out and the assurance of nearness. This stark dynamic between God's utter power and incomprehensible holiness, married with the fact that he is unbelievably close and intimately near to his people, is what makes God's holiness so special. Throughout the ancient Near East and religious histories as a whole, the Jewish peoples were not the only ones to declare things as holy. Pagan societies throughout history have wrestled with the idea that something beyond their traditional human experience existed. Moses was not the first person to ever consider that something might be different than himself in a deep spiritual sense. No, what makes God's holiness special is not that in and of it itself it exists, but that this remarkably holy God wants desperately to be in a relationship with a remarkably unholy humanity. In his article on holiness, M. Willem Urey remarks, The universal description of the holy is that which is separated from the normal in a conceptual way. Yet, through revelatory instruction, Moses taught Israel that their conception of the holy affirmed an essential difference between themselves and their deity. Pagan worshippers in that region could not have reflected on the nature of holy with that sort of clarity. What was other in the normal for them was distinct in Israel as a personal other. Rudolf Otto, in his work The Idea of the Holy, explains that lacking a personal God to give meaning to existence, the pagan mind formed a variety of tools to express reality. Awe, dread, unapproachability, vitality, and mystery are all common attributes given to the holy by ancient people. These people knew their place in relation to the holy, and it was far away. And when they were unavoidably confronted by it, their reaction was fear mixed with fascination. Think about every non-biblical creation story you know. Human existence is always an accident, a byproduct of some divine clash that results in these annoying, pesky, squabbling creatures that the divine, who are, realistically, no more than humans with superpowers, must now contend with. For a perfect example, you need look no further than ancient Greece. Every Greek person believed that every member of the Pantheon lived on top of Mount Olympus, which, if you've never seen before, is a very easily climbable mountain. Any Greek person, realistically, could have gone up on top of this mountain and visited with the gods, but they didn't. Not because 
they didn't believe they were worthy, but because the gods were terrifying and they were not to be trifled with. And they were certainly not anything that you would ever want to have a relationship with. These gods, on the other hand, only ever came down off of their mountain to abuse the people who lived in Greece. They would come down, take what they want, and torment humanity. This is true in Norse mythology, in Roman mythology, or any other ancient ideas of God. Across any other ancient civilization, human worth was exhausted in the sole purpose of serving the basic needs of the gods in order to escape impending judgment. The dread of the holy was dealt with a complex system of cultic appeasements that was, in essence, the attempt to manipulate the gods, which were personified spiritual and natural forces. Response to the holy resulted in a complex system of polytheistic pantheons of ancient culture. They were similar in one regard. What was holy could never be trusted and was only to be feared. To continue using Greek mythology as an example, in his song, The Road, the Rocks, and the Leaves, John Mark McMillan makes a distinction perfect and obvious when he says, Aphrodite does not weep, and Zeus will not suffer for the weak, and yet you, God, have come to stand inside my grave. The distinction is obvious. Holiness, as it has been understood across history, is terrifying. Here comes a fickle, an unpredictable God, who is no more than a child standing over an anthill with a magnifying glass. On the other hand, we have God, the Holy One of Israel. God is so utterly holy, so utterly other than Moses, that when he first encounters God in the burning bush, all he can do is stand by and fear and tremble. He hides his face and understands that he can come no closer. This would be a holiness that pagan cultures would resonate with. Yes, see, God is scary, they would have said in response to Moses' story. This, however, is not the whole picture. Exodus 33, 10-11 tells us, And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. This is a radical shift in God's holiness. He is other than us in every aspect. Perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, and unchanging. Yet he cares about us. His desires to be in a covenant relationship with his people is so strong that as Genesis 15 and 17 point out, God has tied his own existence to that covenant relationship. Where the rest of pagan society would be terrified to consider the otherness implicit in what they would consider to be holy, we can be comforted in knowing that we are cared for in ways that we could never comprehend by our holy God. Where the rest of the world understands holiness as something that we should cower and fear before, God seeks those who are willing to walk with him. Yes, he is holy, and yes, he loves you very, very much. To return briefly to Moses' call from the burning bush, it is no coincidence that God chose to appear to Moses as fire. Think about a fire. It cannot be contained properly in any form. 
Hence, God's command to not make idols. For who could take a picture of fire and say that they have done justice for what it is? Fire can be the thing that saves you when you are cold. It brings light to darkness. It provides energy, a means of preparing food and comfort. Who among us hasn't stared into a fire throughout a camping trip and been fascinated by its mesmerizing, dancing glow? Similarly, God wants us to know and experience the multiplicity of his being. All that he is is extended to us in invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Think about the sun. I could call the sun holy because it is unique, at least in our solar system. It is powerful, and it is a source of life in our galaxy. The area around the sun is also holy. If I was in a spaceship and tried to draw close to the sun, I would be destroyed. God's holiness is similar. It is unique, powerful, and life-giving. And I, because of my sin, cannot draw close to it. But where the sun is an uncaring mass of incandescent gas, God desperately wants to be able to draw near to his creation. That is why there was a relational aspect to him. God, in his goodness, in his holiness, plans to redeem creation. He will make all things good again. He will make all things holy again. When in Leviticus, God says, Be holy, for I am holy, it is a good call to receive in our lives. Over the course of this study, I hope each of you will fall more and more in love with the idea of holiness in your lives as a reflection of the holiness of God as he pours himself out into us. And I hope that you will all fall more and more in love with the God who is holy and who is calling us into this life of holiness.